this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, we take in the sights and sensory experiences of northern Vietnam. Yes, hello Hanoi. Hello scooter riders. It's a hotbed of fun and food. We dabble in the watery world of Halong Bay. Beyond Vietnam, we explore more of Indochina with a dip with Cambodia. The tourist hotspot of Sim Rep is back in business. A staging post for exploring wonderful Angkor. That's all ahead on Kiwi Tripsters. Back with Kiwi Tripsters Travel Podcast. Get ready and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Andrew Seppi. Welcome along for a fresh, sparkling edition. I'm Andrew Seppi. I'm always sparkling. I'm Mike Yardley. Great to be with you, Andrew. Your sparkle is sparkling. Yes. Uh, Good to see you. Vietnam remains one of the best value destinations in the world. And we kick off this episode in the sultry city of Hanoi. Crossing the road feels like a cultural experience. Does it what? In a city of 8 million residents and nearly 6 million scooters, which is why Michael went there. He thought they were all e-scooters. Navigating Hanoi on foot for the first time is tinged with trepidation. Oh my goodness. Even at pedestrian crossings, you think, am I going to survive this? (laughs) The key is to wait for a slight gap, be assertive, Mm -hmm. make eye contact with the incoming riders, Mm -hmm. and go for it. Confidence and courtesy seem to go hand in hand in Hanoi, but I actually became quite addicted watching the traffic movements at some of the city's biggest intersections, and just how the organised chaos is like a mass orchestra on wheels. It's beautiful to watch, this great visual symphony. Now, the old quarter feels like organised chaos, a trading hub for over a thousand years. Where on earth do you start? Well, it is a head's world. Just throw yourself in and soak it up. It will throttle your senses. But there is a curious sense of order to the old quarter. Mm. I love how entire streets specialise in just one product line. So you've got, like, your puppetry street. Uh, the street given over... Hold on, the what, the puppetry street? Yes. So you can just go along and buy a whole lot of marionettes. And finger puppets. Yeah, well, you would, yes. I yes. mean, that's why you travel, isn't it? Of that's course what it you're is. after, a mm-hmm. nice finger puppet. Yeah. Uh, there is the street given over to funeral trinkets. Uh, tradi- Again, what? Yes, funeral I know. Funeral trinkets. Yes, I need to buy a couple of uh, uh, vessels to put my cremated ashes in, and um, then I'll go to the traditional medicine street, and then I'll go to the party decoration street, <laughs> and on it goes. All around this area, the mishmash of architecture styles, and those super skinny high rise buildings, which were designed as a tax dodge in Hanoi because they used to tax you based on the width of your building. Oh, yes. As opposed to the length. Nothing worse than being taxed on the width. That's right. Yes. So now, the French introduced cafe culture to the country, but the Vietnamese have stamped their own mark on it as the world's second biggest coffee exporter. Who knew? Uh, The coffee in Hanoi, strong. Very strong. Mm. Very good. They do do some weird things, though. So, yes. for example, condensed milk. Hmm. Yes. If you were wondering how that generous dose of condensed milk entered the equation when it comes to coffee in Vietnam, the craze originated under French rule because it was very difficult under the French to obtain fresh milk. So the locals just went with condensed milk. Of course. But they went crazy with it. And they, they did. They yes. still use it. <laughs> I also tried an egg coffee. An egg coffee. Yes. So once again, fresh milk is replaced with 
egg yolks. Really? I'm not convinced. No. Apparently, the yolk version was hatched in Hanoi during the Vietnam War when there was quite a shortage and rationing on things like fresh milk. So I would suggest if you are like Andrew and I and you like your coffee, just stick with rich, dark coffee in Vietnam. It certainly packs a bigger punch than your bog-standard long black in New Zealand. In fact, I think when I was in Vietnam, I was vibing like a wind chime for the rest of the day after a coffee. And that's a picture you can take away with you from this podcast. Now, street food is a plenty, and there are some standout examples. What did you sort of munch on? Yeah, that'll do. Yes, I had quite a graze. Street food in Hanoi is headlined by the three Bs. You've got your pho boar, noodle soup with beef. You have bun cha, which is barbecued pork with rice, vermicelli. And then you've got barn mi. Now, barn mi are those fabled, hot, crisp and delicious baguettes, which they stuff stupidly <laughs> with so much meat and pickled vegetables and herbs and spices and all things nices. Those baguettes are made with rice flour, which Mm. is the secret to their sweet flavour and the sort of crispy exterior, right? That's it. Yeah. Rice flour is the key. I went to a place called Ban Mi 25 in the old quarter of Hanoi, which is like Vietnam's answer to Ferg Burger, Queenstown. Right. The lines outside spillowing all the way down the street. and Spillowing. Did I say spillowing? Yeah, very nice. That's spillowing a- is a cross of spill and billow. <laughs> <laughs> and they were doing both. They right. were spillowing. Oh. There you go, word of the day. Yes. But yes, the, the queues, they were informed queues because I have to say that was the best $2 lunch from Barn Me 25 I have come across. Some of the street food, I was a little bit cautious about. Such as? Bornock, which Mm. is sea snail noodle soup. Sea snail noodle soup. Yeah. Mm. It is considered a classic comfort food in Hanoi. I would not be rushing back for a refill. Right. Mm. Now, Uncle Ho, did Mm. you see Uncle Ho in the mausoleum? Yes. Right. I haven't got any photos to prove it because you're not allowed to take any. Well, it's never stopped you in the past, as <laughs> I recall. That is very true. Um, so you can jaunt into the government grounds to his rather austere mausoleum where he lies in his glass case quite dimly lit. And it was specifically built so that after he passed away, Vietnamese from both the north and the south could find contentment in seeing their leader dead. in the United Vietnam dead. Yeah. Yes. Um, every how, year- how, do, how contented do you feel when you're seeing a dead leader? <laughs> well, supposedly they take some contentment from it because he was Mr. Unifier. Well, I couldn't imagine Rob Muldoon in a glass case and everybody going, <laughs> I feel content. <laughs> that's true. Actually, apparently Uncle Ho did not want to be in this mausoleum. Well, why would you? No, that's true. Someone said to you, when you snuff it, yes. should we put you in a glass case and dimly lit you? Mm. You're not going to go, yeah. I think there'd be a queue lining up. Yeah. To see it, hmm. wouldn't they? Well. They'd bring flowers every day for me. They would. Yes. Apparently every year the mausoleum is closed for two months so that Uncle Ho's body can be taken off to Moscow to be given a bit of a spruce up. You know, there's a bit of wear and tear on that glass case. What do they do with it? Well, I think they just inject a bit more. Botox? Embalming and, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Right. Now, Hanoi loves its central city lakes, Mm. okay? The great urban detox. Yes. So they say. Yes. This lovely liquid land. They're like pocket lakes. Blissful retreats from the urban grit. 
and they're so immaculately landscaped with their ornamental bridges and their willow trees and bamboo trees, amazing flower beds. It is Graham Central. My top pick is a lake called Chokbuck, and mm-hmm. it's home to Hanoi's oldest pagoda. Best thing of all, this is the lake that John McCain was famously photographed being dragged from after he parachuted down after being shot during the Vietnam War, John McCain. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, And then he was uh, hauled off to what they call the Hanoi Hilton. Well, that's what the West called it anyway, the Hanoi Hilton. Most of that jail uh, has been demolished, although there is one section that remains which has been turned into a museum, which is well worth a look. Fantastic. All right, just ahead we swap the city lights for the limestone delights of Halong Bay. Don't go away. We go to Halong Bay. (laughs) Every day. Yeah. You're back with Mike and Andrew, Kiwi Tripsters. Right, we've just scooted through Hanoi. Unfortunately, not an e-scooter, much to Mike's disappointment. Now, take me away to Halong Bay. How close to the city do we have to be taken away to Halong Bay? It's not that far away. No, it's good. (laughs) Two and a half hours drive east. So it's entirely feasible to actually just sample uh, Vietnam's legendary limestone seascape as a day trip from Hanoi. A lot of people think, oh, I'll need to go and spend a few nights at Halong Bay. You don't actually have to. I mean, you can do like a multi-night cruise on those waters if you want. And you normally, if you do that, would be staying on board a junk and just drift around the waters over several days. But to be honest... So drift away to Halong Bay. <laughs> exactly. Great. If you are tight on time, story of my life, yes. you can have a thoroughly fulfilling taster with the bay as a day trip from Hanoi. Lovely. Now, some visitors think Halong Bay is overhyped, overcrowded, talked up, blah, blah, blah. Uh, can it feel like a bit of a hot mess? Yes. Okay. <laughs> the central area of Halong Bay is just heaving with humanity, with vessels, all vying for the best vantage points. It is a victim of over-tourism. It's right. noisy. It's congested. It's just not nice. Right. Um, so the brochure pictures you see uh, really are just, uh, yeah, no. Well, Interestingly, when you look at those brochure pictures of perfection, it's like solitude. That's what you see in those pictures. No, you won't find it in the central area of Halong Bay. So really, it's like a mad woman's hairdo. Pretty much. Right. Yeah, sliced by limestone fangs. Ah. So for those in the know, there is a far more rewarding alternative to Halong Bay Central. By too long bay is Halong's Lesser known neighbour, but more than an equal in the beauty stakes, one would say. Yes. Mm. Now, strictly speaking, Bai Tu Long is actually an extension of Halong Bay, uh, comprising three quarters of the Halong Bay World Heritage Site. Ah. An easy way to describe this would be, think of the Marlborough Sounds. So from Picton, think of Queen Charlotte Sound as Halong Bay Central. And then, of course, in the Marlborough Sounds, you've also got in a Peru sound, ah, of course. Pelora sound. You've got all these little nooks and arms and bays. So that is a similar sort of setup over in this part of the world. You have islets galore in by too long, 600 of them, 600 islets jutting out of the emerald waters. That's quite an eyeful. So drifting around these thrusting fangs of rock 
does feel rather otherworldly. Yes. And there are so many fantastical shapes giving rise to endearing names like Monster Face Islet. And I have to say it's the nose and the eyes of this monster that you do notice straight away as you approach it. Yes. Then there's Dragon's Head Islet, Toad Islet, Teapot Islet, which actually has a big legend attached to it. The story goes. So it's Teapot Island steeped in legend. Yes. Let's see. Steeped teapot. Well done. Well done. Yes. Steeped for what? Two minutes? Probably. (laughs) The story goes this teapot belonged to the Jade Emperor and he accidentally dropped it due to its broken handle. Mm. And that's the unmistakable shape of the rock formation today. I felt lost in a lullaby of limestone, Andrew. What was in that tea you were drinking? Might have been green. Being such a watery world, I imagined you felt obliged to tuck into some local seafood. Damn right. Right. I did a full day float on a boat called La Muse, which is part of the Indochina junk fleet. And they are one of the big operators in Halong Bay. So you get this very lavish seafood lunch on board as part of the experience, and it just spanned the ocean. I had What was in this seafood lunch, Michael? I had squid cakes. I had seafood soup. I can't really tell you what was in that soup. It might have been more of those nasty sea snails. (laughs) But I just sort of galloped it down. Mm -hmm. King prawns. Now, I must say. Yes. I am a fan of the prawn. Yes, you've mentioned that before. The king prawns, I reckon, from Vietnam could give them a Malula bar prawns a run for their money. They were very, very meaty. Oh. And best of all, I also helped myself to some local baby oysters plucked off the rock walls of Bai Too Long Bay. Did they work? Well, <laughs> apparently they do. I was there for occupational purposes, but... You probably would need to eat 10 of these baby oysters to match the bulk of a bluff oyster, but, man, they pack a punch. They're full of flavour, these wee babies. Flavour. A big attraction is Kongdo Island, and uh, why so? Well, after lunch, (laughs) a spot of spelunking was in order, Andrew. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And Kongdu Island is not only blessed with the most splendid sweep of sugar white sands, but they've got this amazing cave. So I went spelunking in Thien Can Son Cave. And was your spelunk enjoyable? (laughs) Fabulous. Great. Beautifully moodlit, this cave. Mm -hmm. And it's got three main chambers that I clambered through. This cave has been like a trusty refuge for storm-stricken sailors over the centuries. So I felt like a washed-up sailor in this cave. Oh, lovely. (laughs) The creamy limestone stalactites draw together like large curtains. I thought that's very clever how nature's done that. It was like someone had just come along and pulled all these curtains together. Nature's good like that. Yeah. And they've got all sorts of really cool stalagmites and wacky shapes, uh, like a group of gnomes holding a meeting. Right. I thought I might have channeled Snow White in this cave. I thought, have we just come across seven dwarves? And they're all sort of like huddled around talking to each other. Maybe I've been eating too many baby oysters. I think you might have been. You actually have to trudge up a hundred steps to reach the cave entrance, which I know sounds really Irish. Did they not have a shuttle this time? <laughs> no, and no escalator. <laughs> Where's the escalator? But the fact that you've got to walk up a hundred steps to enter a cave, yeah, it's actually a, re- a reminder of the natural forces at play in this part of the world, where the water levels of the sea have gone up and down, up and down. So this cave is sort of like, you know, way, way above the waterline. Yes. Because normally you'd expect the 
cave to be very close to the water. Well, there were 232 steps I took to get to the cave in Malaysia, so... Yes, Yes. Same sort of thing. Mm. By the way, from the lookout of the cliff face, you just get the most amazing infinity view of so many of those islets stretching out to the horizon. It's just beautiful. Beautiful. Now, after you've finished washing down your sailors, uh, you can go and explore on a kayak as well. A quintessential experience. Oh, how lovely. Yes. Even though you're essentially in the ocean in the South China Sea, once again, like the Marlborough Sounds, the water in Halong Bay and Baitulong Bay, it's just so calm. So back down on the beach, we boarded a bunch of kayaks and had a great little float around some of these limestone formations, marvelling over the baby oysters, clinging on for dear life on the rock walls, thinking, oh, God, here comes Mike Yardley about to gobble me. Um, <laughs> As many an oyster has said. Yes, indeed. But, yeah, those waters are just like millpong to smooth. And it's a really great way to savour a distilled version of Halong's pulling power without the krauts. And that's got to be good. All right, we dip into Cambodia very shortly with a swing through Simrep. Do not go away. back with Kiwi Trips. This is Mike and Andrew as we showcase some top sites in Indochina. Let's switch tracks from Vietnam to Cambodia post-COVID. The tourism trade in Sim Rep, it's booming, huh? Yes, uh, it has certainly stirred back into life, but they've still got a long way to go because generally in the last six months, it's been backpackers and millennials. Then along came you. rusting old me. Um <laughs> But if the heaving hordes of temple tourists sounds like a turnoff, the good thing is scooch away to Cambodia now because the tourist count is nowhere near back to like the numbers you would have had pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, what do you reckon? How much? They said to me about a third yeah. of their pre-COVID peak. Ooh. But, I mean, it's always been such a bustling part of the world. Even a third is quite busy yeah. without it being chaotic. A huge swathe of hotels and restaurants went bankrupt because of COVID. And around Sim Rep, you will notice a lot of them are still boarded up, which is quite a confronting sight given it's such a star-powered tourist destination. So aside from the Angkor temples, uh, which we'll speak about shortly, what city sites are worth tackling? Well, it's a very compact city, Sim Rep, so you can see a lot in a short space of time, which I'm always up for. First stop for me would be the old market because it is such a head swirl of colour and character. It's the food section that packs the biggest sensory punch. Yes. Now, if you're going to do that, go early, head there at dawn when the restaurant chefs and locals are out in force, haggling like their life depends on it. <laughs> yes, they do. It's not a place to be squeamish. I wandered by dozens of plump, headless chocks lined up like a military parade awaiting inspection, yeah. and you will see all manner of globulous, blood-and-gore-soaked specialities selling like hotcakes, and a lot of these were totally unidentifiable. Okay, so what's the weirdest street snack you came across? Gold star on that front would be duck fetus. Ugh. It looks as graphically horrific as it sounds. Oh. Mm. But the head-spinning selection of cheap eats is a challenge to your comfort zone, I have to say. Beyond duck fetus, which I did not sample, I did sample a deep-fried tarantula. What? Mm. Oh. Washed down with sugar cane juice. 
I have to admit, I could only handle one leg of the tarantula before quitting. Yeah, what did it taste like? It tasted like an overcooked, slightly burnt chip. Oh. Mm. Oh. Yeah, it was deep fried, a deep fried tarantula, but anywhere near like its central body Mm. and, you know. Oh, I wasn't going there, girlfriend. No. Um, roasted insects are everywhere. And if you want to take it a step further, there is this place in Semrep called Bugs Cafe. It's Cambodia's famous insect tuppers restaurant. So you can chomp your way through sheer plates of crickets, scorpions, grasshoppers, and spees and silkworms. Right. <laughs> now, aside from bugs, <laughs> the signature tastes in Semrep, what yes. are they? Well, I would say go traditional with Khmer cuisine, even though it has been overshadowed by a lot of Vietnamese and Thai in Sem Rep, you'll see so many, you know, Thai restaurants in downtown Sem Rep. But if you want to go traditional Khmer, their signature national dish is called fish amok, which is this fabulous curried fish coated in a cup of banana leaves. That's amazing. The other must try is beef lock lac, diced beef garnished with citrus and pepper dip. Pretty good. Sounds a little more sedate than a tarantula. Yeah, exactly. They're very big into fusion cuisine, given they've got, you know, the Vietnamese and the Thai next door. I had the most amazing pad seafood kapow, and the clue is in the name kapow. I was going to say kapow um, suggests a bit of a punch. Yeah, something explosive. So it was like a pad Thai, but then it was loaded with seafood and absolutely Absolutely slathered with a head blast of spices. Really good. Now, is Pub Street still a, well, flesh pit of fun-seeking young things? Your sort of place, Andrew. Oh, well. Yes. Yes, I thought of you when I was in Pub Street. (laughs) After dark, this place turns into Party Central, baby. The sort of place where you dive in to party up and just crawl out right. at 4.30 in the morning. Mm. Although it's not quite as low rent as it used to be. <laughs> or maybe it's just I'm ageing. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but you think they've upped their game. I think they have. It's been gentrified a bit. So you've got you know newer eateries and bars that definitely are looking to attract an older crowd, a bit like the terrace in Central Christchurch. Back in the day, the strop days. Oh, yes. When it was very much like a kindergarten. Oh. Now they're appealing to the older market, and so is Pub Street. So, yeah, I would say definitely something for everyone now in Pub Street. Now, Cambodia has long been regarded as very inexpensive. Is this still the case? Yes. I didn't do the McDonald's test. Oh. But I did do the jug of beer test. A jug of beer, New Zealand, $2. Pretty good. What? Yeah. Ah. A fish pedicure, still only five New Zealand dollars. A fish pedicure. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a moment. Best of all, ice cream rolls, Andrew. Oh. Ice cream rolls. Now, for some weird reason, they're also called stir-fried ice cream in Semrep. I couldn't understand that. But it's basically a pottle of three delightfully rolled morsels of ice cream in a rainbow of colours, and that will cost you, in New Zealand dollars, three bucks. It's got to be good. Mm. Now, this is made with a liquid ice cream base, which is often heavy cream. The base is then poured onto a super cold, flat metal plate, mixed with flavours, and rolled out before being served to you. Yes. Because the ice cream has become solid and the flat metal plate is continuously keeping it cold, the ice cream just rolls up 
so easily with a metal spatula. Hence why I cannot understand why they call this stir-fried ice cream. But each ice cream roll is about the same size and it just fits into the cup. It's beautiful. It's like art. Ice cream art. Lovely. Now, we need to get back to these fish pedicures. The original operator, Dr. Fish, yes, uh, is still located in the Angkor Night Market. But imitators have morphed all over town. Yes. What is this fish, fish pedicure? pedicure? Yeah. Well. Because I couldn't imagine you giving a fish a pedicure. <laughs> I hate having my feet played with. I have to confess. Yes. I'm sharing. Mm-hmm. I don't have a foot fetish. <laughs> and I do not want my feet nibbled by fish. But. A lot of people do. Ah. Um, if you've been temple touring, your feet do take a bit of a pounding. Nothing worse than a bad pounding. So for about five New Zealand dollars, a tank full of fish will deal to all of that dead skin. So Hmm. you just dip your feet in and munch, 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 munch. (laughs) All these fish go hell for leather. But a local tipped me off that about 70 pairs of legs are dangled in each of these tanks before the water is changed. Right. So if you really want the fishies to work their magic on your feet, I would suggest you dangle your feet in the tank at the very start of the day because you don't know how many more are going to be in there as the day progresses. There's a T-shirt in that about dangling uh, your feet in the tank early, isn't there? There really? is, actually. Yeah. Yes. Right, coming up, we explore the staggering trove of treasures in Angkor Wat and Angkor Tom. Don't go away. Walking Tom, coming up. This is Kiwi Trips, does Mike and Andrew, as we take a roam through Cambodia's greatest hits, if you like. Uh, SEMREP is the launch pad onto the wondrous world of Angkor, uh, and that was once home to Khmer Empire. And the big daddy is Angkor What is sunrise overrated, or does it live up to the glorious expectations? Great question. And I have to say, I think it is overrated. Really? Because... I mean, you are gazing in awe at one of the world's most recognisable landmarks, but the idea of having to get up at the ungodly hour of 4am to get there in time for sunrise is like, really? Is that what I want to be doing when I'm on holiday? And chances are, if you have my luck, you will strike cloud (laughs) and you'll get there and think, what the hell am I doing here looking at a cloudy morning waiting for the sun that's never going to appear? And you've got heaving throngs of tourists all around you because they've been sucked into the same thing. So if you want a less trafficked experience, I'd say give sunrise the flick and go early afternoon. Yeah, I can I can follow the logic. Yeah. There is one exception to that. Yes. <laughs> if you're into your spring or autumn equinox. <laughs> oh, yes. That's the only time I think sunrise is worth a crack at Angkor Wat because that is when the sun magically rises exactly over the pinnacle of the temple's uh, temple central tower, spring and autumn equinox. Well, that's what they built it there. Yes. Mm. A cosmic classic. Absolutely. Mm. As the world's largest religious monument, what's so impressive about Angkor Wat is its size? And we ask the age-old question, does size matter? I believe it does, Andrew. Mm. What really blows my mind yes. is the fact that Angkor housed up to one million residents in the 13th century. Wow. And I mean, Europe was still stuck in the Dark Ages. Yes, yes. And there were a million people in this metropolis. 
of Angkor Wat. I think that is amazing. It would have ranked as the largest city in the world in the 13th century. Yeah, it would have. Mm. Hmm. Architecturally, what also blows my hair back, the fact you've got this fusion of Hindu and Buddhist treats. I love how those five beehive-like spires form this giant lotus bud at the centre of the complex. I think that was really clever, you know, in terms of architectural design. And it's the intricacy of the carvings, which is so compelling. Uh, Sadly, more of the Hindu gods lost their heads to tomb raiders and looters during the Khmer Rouge regime, but they are steadily being reinstated, as are the excavations. Yeah, a huge amount of work is still going on there. It's like this jungle-covered city that still reveals lots of secrets. So there's a lot of restoration work. Um, It's like an infinity labour of love. I had this very cool local guide, and he remarked how the German teams are the most meticulous restorers. Of course they are. The Chinese and the Indian crews, rough and ready. You know, that'll do. Near enough is good enough sort of attitude which I know sounds terribly cliche, but, well, this is what the local guide said. New discoveries are being made all the time, particularly with LIDAR imaging, which is that sort of underground radar imaging. Yes, yes. Um, For example, recent excavation work revealed wooden residences within Angkor Wat's moat, which housed 3,000 elites. And interestingly, one of the main reasons contributing to Angkor's decline, they believe now, was climate change because there was this devastating drought in the 14th century and the scans of string uh, tree rings have revealed that and they believe that drought would have caused such extreme hardship. That's probably what led a lot of people to leave. Now, in Angkor Tom, Bayon Temple is all about the faces. You are all about the faces too, Andrew. I am. Yes. Angkor Tom was the last and most enduring capital city built by the Khmer Empire And Bayon Temple is my favourite. It just feels so special and mysterious and endearing with those 50-odd sculpted towers piercing the skyline and on all sides of these towers, that curiously smiling face, soothingly, curiously smiling face. (laughs) It's as enigmatic as Mona Lisa. Indeed. Ground control to Anchor Tom. Yes, locals refer to Bayon as the Mona Lisa of Southeast Asia. Over 200 carved faces replicated across these towers, projecting a soothing, feel-good kind of calm. Um, yeah. I love that. There's been a lot of work done in Angkor's Royal Square too. Yes, a lot of work in recent years. So this is this beautifully lush Royal Square in Angkor Tom. So many spectacles The royal bathing pools. Oh, my God. They are colossal. You'd like a bathing pool in town. Oh, yes. Sort of whack yourself with a birch leaf. and (laughs) Yeah. One of these pools was reserved for the king, while the other was the ladies' pool, uh, where his, you know, 500 concubines would take a dip. 500 concubines. The man get any sleep? I feel exhausted. I know. Just to mention that as a sight. Yes. Since I was last there seven years ago, it's amazing how much restoration work has been done um, around the Royal Square. They've got this terrace they call the Elephant Terrace, it, and it was essentially a stage, 350 metres long. How many rugby fields? Yeah, it's a, quite three a and few. a half. Yeah, yes. yeah. Three. Carved with the trunks of elephants, this whole stage. Not real elephants, obviously, but just mimicking that design of an elephant trunk as a decorative column. And you had all these circus acrobats and wrestlers 
performing on this massive long terrace. That's all now been restored. It's spectacular. What about the Jungle Temple Taprom? It's a do not miss. And a lot of people will go to Taprom because of LC. First name Lara, second name Croft. Oh, yes. Yes. Screen tourism strikes again. It does. Yes. So Taprom captured the world's imagination in the blockbuster. It is such a statement on nature consuming the built environment. And what they've done with Taprom Temple is they've basically left it as it is. So you've got these towering tentacles of banyan trees and vines devouring the structure of the temple. And it just provides also a really interesting taste of the astonishment those early French explorers must have felt when they stumbled across these monuments back in the 1860s. Now, your stories do sort of paint a picture of the explorer and, you know, roughing it out there in nature and the old architecture and the rubble, which we know is not you at all because you like your creature comforts. So where did you stay? Where's good? Ah, well, if you want to splurge, I'd have to say, Andrew, Raffles Grand Hotel Dancor, which was originally built as a rest stop for those plucky archaeologists to explore the ancient kingdom's temples about 90 years ago. Yeah, the last of the great explorers, Michael, yes. Yes, I know. The place is low with history, and after sweating your way around the temples, this hotel has a happy ending. Oh, does it? <laughs> the Hotel Pool. Ah, right. The largest in Cambodia. Ooh. And it's a carbon copy of the ancient King's Pool. You haven't got us 500 concubines hanging. Well, I did well. inquire about that. <laughs> Where's the adjoining ladies' pool? <laughs> but no, sadly, that is not provided. You uh, won't get your 500 concubines. <laughs> but I did wallow in the king's waters <laughs> in a state of bliss for quite some hours. I did like how you paused there. Yes. Searching for the right word. Yes. That will probably do for now. Be yes. sure to like our Facebook page. Show notes are available on the website. KiwiTripsters.co.nz That's it. Plus, we'd love you to rate and review Kiwi Tripsters on the podcast service of your choice. Yes. Now, put on your four-sided faces and channel your zen light calm and give us your harmony and your soothing vibe of goodwill. It's very good karma. Or if you're exhausted after 500 concubines, just sort of grunt appreciatively. <laughs> and we look forward to catching you for our next edition of Kiwi Tripsters in a week's time. Take care now. Tally ho. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.